Well, hey, good morning, church. Good morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is good to be worshiping with the family of God back here at ACF. And so uh, for all of our returning students, welcome back. Um, I hope you had a great break. Hope you had a great sort of time away with family and friends and and, uh, all kinds of loved ones. And to all of our new friends, I want to say a special welcome to you, whether you're a transfer student or whether you're joining us here at ACF for the first time, I want to say a special, special welcome to you. We're so glad you're here. My name is Dan Min, and I have the the great joy and the privilege of serving as the pastor here at Alliance Christian Fellowship. And uh, if you're new to our church, first of all, let me just say again, we would love to invite you out to our newcomer's lunch. Please mark your calendar the last Sunday of this month. We'd love to to meet you, to welcome you, to share a little bit more about who we are. Uh, We are a student-based church. We are a, a church for students, led by students. And so uh, many of the ministries that happen in the life of our church are actually led and facilitated by all of our students uh, within our church family. And so, um, so, so we'll tell you a little bit more about our vision and about how uh, you might be able to get plugged in a little bit more here in ACF. And so love to see you there. We're gonna feed you, okay? So the food will be free, the company will be great, and I believe you will thoroughly enjoy yourself. So we love to see you there. But secondly and more importantly... If this is your first time with us, I sure as hope that that this isn't the last time we see you. Here at ACF, we make it a point to try to create a space and an environment where you feel like this is a place where you can call home away from home. That we would be a a family to you in in very much a a real sense, in a tangible way, during your time here at at Penn State as students. And so uh, along the way, um, if if you decide to to call this place your your home church during your time as as students here, please let us know if there's any way that we can serve you, that we can come alongside you, love you, encourage you, and answer any questions you might have. And so once again, we're so thrilled to have you here today. For those of you who were with us last semester, we spent the better part of fall semester looking at the most famous sermon of all. If there was a, any sermon that would go down in the hall of fame for greatest sermons ever preached, this sermon would be at the top of the list. Coming at a close second would probably be one of my sermons, you know, but, but I'm super humble about it, so I'm just not, not going to go there. But, but this sermon that, that we looked at was, would be at the very top of the list. In fact, Christians and non-Christians alike have quoted multiple times, numerous times over the ages from this very sermon. Non-Christians who don't even believe in the faith have quoted from this sermon without even knowing that they're quoting from a sermon. The sermon that I'm talking about is the great sermon on the mount preached by Jesus himself. And the sermon can be found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And last semester, we actually only managed to cover just one chapter of the entire sermon on the mount. And that's because Jesus didn't believe in preaching short sermons. You know, typically on any given Sunday, I'll I'll try to lean into a three-point sermon, keep it short and sweet, get you out of here by lunchtime. But Jesus didn't care about giving a lunch break. You didn't care about it. The, the Sermon on the Mount was no three-point sermon. It was a full-blown 20-point sermon, which is why we were only able to cover one chapter last semester. But fear not, church. A new semester is upon us. A new semester is upon us. That's right. We're going to actually carry this series that we were in last semester right into this semester called The Kingdom Way. The Kingdom Way. 
And so by the end of this academic year, come May, we would have gone through a 22-part teaching series, okay, uh, just on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, let me just pause here. For those of you who were with us last semester, you were a faithful attendee, you came every week, listened to the Sermon on the Mount, maybe you're coming to a point and you're saying, Dan, I'm tired of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm tired of this. In Matthew 5, how many times can I turn to Matthew 5? My Bible is permanently creased to Matthew 5. Can we look at something else, right? Maybe for you, you're like, man, maybe you were done with this series. Listen, don't blame me. I'm not the one who preached a 20-point sermon, okay? So if you have a problem here, you're going to have to take it up with Jesus, okay? We're just, we're just looking at the words of Jesus here. I am genuinely sorry if you are tired of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, for those of you who found this series to be helpful, encouraging, and, and challenging, and all kinds of good, and friends, I hope the majority of us found ourselves in that place, I say to you, great, because I believe that Jesus has more for us in his Sermon on the Mount that we have not yet uncovered. And so no matter where you fall on your feelings towards the length of this series, I pray that you would open your heart to receive what I believe Christ has for you and for me through his teachings. And so if you have your Bibles, won't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, not 5, chapter 6. We are moving on. Chapter 6. We covered all of chapter 5. <clears throat> Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. If we can have some volunteers uh, giving out some, some of these Bibles. If you don't have a Bible here with you, uh, go ahead and raise your hand, and we'll have some folks coming around, and they could get one of these hardback Bibles to you. Just raise your hand, and they'll get one into your hands. Friends, if you don't own a personal copy of the Bible, uh, we would love to, to gift this to you. Consider this our gift to you, and uh, we'd love everyone to own their own copy of the Bible. Now, I know many of you have Bibles on your smartphones. That's all good. But if you want a personal hard copy of the Bible, consider this our gift to you. If you're following along with us in these hardback Bibles, we're on page 811, 811. We'll also put the text up here on the screen in just a few moments, but as you're finding a place in Matthew 6, let me just remind you of the central theme of these, this entire sermon. And for those of you who are jumping into the series for the first time, let me just fill you in. This 20-point sermon is not some kind of disjointed, random collection of thoughts. Jesus wasn't having a moment sipping his coffee by his window saying, let me, let me think about th some things to talk about. And this wasn't just a random collection of thoughts by Jesus. This is, remember, this is Jesus, the Son of God. The Son of God coming to the people of God to teach and show us that there is a new way to live life. There's a new way to live life. You ever find those articles online where like, it says like, you know, find out that you've been doing things wrong the whole time. Like, use the hanger the right way, right? Like, how can you use a hanger the wrong way? Like, you find all these life hacks, right? You could, here's a new way to use this thing. Jesus essentially comes onto the scene to show us that, that there is a new way to live life. And essentially, that perhaps we have been going about living life all wrong. That Jesus comes on and says, let me show you a new way. But not only does he come to show us a new way, he comes to show us a far better way to live. And we've, we've been calling this new and better way to live the kingdom way. And listen, friends, the kingdom way of Christ brings to us great purpose for our lives. 
It brings meaning and significance. It brings with it deep joy and satisfaction and contentment for our souls if we lend our lives to this kingdom way. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. The kingdom way is not an easy way. And no point would you ever read the Sermon on the Mount, any portion of the Sermon on the Mount, and think to yourself, I got this. It's a, it's a piece of cake. This is, is a walk in the park. In fact, the words of Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount are some of the most challenging things that we as human beings can process in our faith journey. But I believe, I believe that if we apply these red letters of Jesus into our lives and design our lives around this kingdom way, we'll experience the fullness of God's purpose and meaning for our lives. And friends, isn't that what we want at the end of the day? We want to live on purpose and we want to live towards a greater meaning, a greater story than just our little story, than just ourselves, where, well, the kingdom way shows us the avenue towards that. So I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 6, starting from verse 1, and we'll just look at four verses here today. That's all we're going to look at. This is Jesus speaking. We'll t- again, we'll, we'll put the text up here on the screen if you want to look along with us. Matthew chapter 6, starting from verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. This is what it says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. We're going to stop right there for for today. This passage that we're looking at is the first part of a three-part series of thought. After this section of scripture, Jesus then immediately goes into two subsequent sections that we'll be looking at in the coming weeks that all have the same common denominator, and that is secrecy. Secrecy. Jesus first tells us to give in secret. He then tells us to pray in secret, and then he tells us to fast in secret. We'll cover the the latter two topics in the coming weeks, but today I want to take a moment to look at giving in secret. You know, this concept of, of, of secrecy, this concept of doing things in secret is an interesting concept for Jesus to run with, isn't it? I mean, think about it for just a moment. When we think about, often when we think about people who do things in secret, It is often related to bad things. It's often painted in a bad light. When when someone cheats on their significant other, they do it in secret so that they prevent, so so they're not caught in the act. When someone cheats or lies, they do it in secret so that they prevent the truth from coming out. When someone steals, they keep it covered up and keep it secret so that they won't get caught, so that they won't get in trouble. In fact, oftentimes we associate people who do things in secret as things like shady or sketchy or suspect, right? Like that, that's, that's kind of the language we use when we think about people who do things in secret. Very rarely will we see something done in secret as a good thing. In fact, my wife has a saying, Secrets don't make friends, they make babies. I don't know where she got that from. I'm not entirely sure I know what that means, 
But here's what I think the point is. It's not a good thing to keep secrets. We often tell our kids, kids, boys, we don't, we don't keep secrets in this family. We tell each other everything in this family. And yet here is Jesus saying to us, no, I actually want you to do some things in secret. Because it's in the secret that the heart of what Jesus is trying to communicate is revealed. And what is that, you ask? It's the revealing of true righteousness versus fake righteousness. What Jesus is getting at at the heart of this passage is the issue of fake righteousness versus true righteousness. That's why he says it's important to do these things in secret because it's in the secret that your righteousness will be revealed for what it really is. And he uses giving to the needy as an example of how this plays out. He shows us what fake righteousness looks like. In verse two, he says thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound trumpets before you like the hypocrites do. They do this all the time. They do it in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Fake righteousness. And then he paints for us a picture of what true righteousness looks like. He says, but when you give to the needy, He's contrasting us, the people of God, as compared to the hypocrites in, in, the t- in that time. He says, but you, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, as much as we don't like shady, suspect, secret type people, we equally don't like fake things. Amen? We don't like fake things. We don't like fake food. We don't like fake news. We don't like fake products. But we don't like fake people. Can I get an amen? All right, we don't like fake people. You're fake. I don't need you in my life. You're wasting my life. Just get, get, we don't like anything fake. We don't like fake stuff. Aside from the pair of fake Oakleys I owned in high school, I went to Chinatown, bought a pair of fake Oakleys. I called them my Folkleys for $5, right? I, I rocked them hard, man. I rocked them hard in high school. I thought I was, aside from that, most of us don't like fake stuff. We don't like fake things. Well, neither did Jesus. And the thing that bothered Jesus the most of all fake things, he didn't care about fake products, fake news, and fake all that. What, he, what aggravated Jesus the most was people who walked in fake righteousness, That's why he was so ticked with the Pharisees and the religious leaders during this time because all of their so-called righteousness, the things that they did in the name of God, was all a show. It was all fake. It was like it was a, a theatrical show. They were just going through the motions where their actions were entirely detached from any intentions of the heart, including giving to the needy which, by the way, was a major violation to the kingdom way. You see, the kingdom way, if you don't know, is, is all about caring for the needy. If you study the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount and, and study the, the way of Christ, the kingdom way, it is all about caring for the needs of others and putting the needs of others before your own. But what the religious leaders did they were, do, they were using the needy. They were, they were using these people who are marginalized and disenfranchised, who were in great need. They were using them like props on the stage of their lives to put on a show for the world. A major violation. And Jesus was essentially calling them out for their fake righteousness. 
And Jesus seems to be indicating two specific things here as it pertains to fake versus true righteousness. Two things. And so this is going to be a two-point sermon. This isn't a three-pointer because Jesus simply made two points. And the first point that Jesus seems to be making is this. Fake righteousness is motivated by the praise of man, whereas true righteousness is inspired by the approval of God. You want to know the distinction between fake righteousness and and true righteousness in the lens and the perspective of Jesus? From Jesus' perspective, fake righteousness is motivated by the praise of man, whereas true righteousness is inspired by the approval of God. You want to know where you fall in terms of the righteousness scale? Ask yourself the question, what is the chief motivator in your life? What is the chief motivator in your life? Is it the need for recognition, praise, and affirmation from the people around you? Or is it God's thoughts and his opinions towards you? At the end of the day, you've got to be able to answer the question, which is more important to me? The praise of man or the approval of God? Jesus' warning in the beginning is crystal clear, but if you're not paying close attention, you can miss it. I love that he starts off chapter 6 with a warning. Beware. Beware, because there's danger in this. And in a few moments, I'm going to tell you what the danger is here. But he starts off with this, with this danger warning. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Listen, his warning, catch this, his warning is not, don't practice your righteousness. No, of course not. Jesus wants us to practice our righteousness. He doesn't want us to just think righteous thoughts. He actually wants us to live righteous lives. He wants us to practice righteousness. He also doesn't say, his warning also isn't, don't practice your righteousness before other people. That's not his warning. In fact, righteous living entails living it out in the context of other people. We can't just lock ourselves in a closet and say, I'm living a righteous life. Like that doesn't work that way. Righteous living doesn't work in a bubble. It often plays out before other people. You see, his real warning is against the motivation, the chief motivator for your righteousness. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, why would they want to be seen by others? Well, if you jump down to verse two, he tells us, that they may be praised by others. And right here, Jesus addresses the common human condition that you and I are plagued with. See, we as human beings have a tendency to want to be praised by others. Athletes covet the title GOAT, greatest of all time, right? Sports team pride themselves on how many rings they have, how many titles they've won, how many times they brought the trophy home, right? Uh, musicians compare the number of awards they've won during their career, how many platinum records they've sold to, to show how praiseworthy they actually are as artists. Companies pride themselves on being the leading company in their industry where everyone is looking up to them and praising them. As human beings, there is something in all of us that deeply longs for the praises of others. It's part of our human condition. We want to be told how great we are. We want to be told how awesome we are. We want to be told how amazing we are. Now, can I just say this? Before I go on, I I say this as someone whose love language is words of affirmation. 
You see, oftentimes it's, we find ourselves in this tension because we say, well, I, I feel like I shouldn't want this, but I kind of I kind of feel like I need it. That's, that's my love line. That's how I feel loved and, and, and affirmed through words of affirmation by people telling me how great I am, by people telling me how, how highly they think of me. Friends, it is not wrong to want to be recognized. It is not wrong to want to be told how great someone thinks you are. To affirm someone and to encourage someone, to praise someone is not a bad thing. But here's where things get a little bit dicey. When, you're, when the thoughts and the opinions of others weigh heavier than the voice and the opinions of God in your life, you have a problem on your hands. When the thoughts and the opinions of others around you weigh heavier and they scream louder than the voice of God in your life, you have a significant problem on your hands. When your righteousness is driven by the need for affirmation and the praise of man, you're actually living out of a place of false righteousness. That's why I love what Paul says. He encourages the listeners in Colossae, in Colossians 3. He says, and whatever you do in word or deed, he says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything, whatever it is, do all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then just a few verses later, he says in verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily, work hard. Listen, as for the Lord and not for men that we are living for the approval of God and not for the praise of man. And then Paul says again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, another letter to a different church, same message. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all of it, every single one of it, do all to the glory of God, not for the praise of I mean, listen, the scripture makes it abundantly clear, as does Jesus, that when you care more about what people think of you more than what God thinks of you, you are prone to live out of a place of fake righteousness. It'll happen without you even realizing it. But then Jesus fleshes this out even further, and he makes a second point, which is fake righteousness receives no reward whereas true righteousness receives the highest reward. Fake righteousness receives no reward, whereas true righteousness receives the highest reward. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says in, in, in verse one, he says, beware, right? Beware practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward. That's it. You wanna live out of a place of fake righteousness? You got no reward coming your way. There is no reward. There's no return on your investment here. There is no reward for you to receive from your father who is in heaven. And then he goes on into what the hypocrites do, right? They go out and make a show of their righteous deeds. Look how awesome I am. Look how amazing I am. Look at this people. And then Jesus says, truly I say to you, those people, they've received their reward. They've received their reward. That's, that's Jesus' way of saying they're walking away rewardless. They're walking away empty-handed, Friends, let me tell you, when you live for the praises of man and the affirmation of people, you will always find yourself never satisfied. And because you will find yourself never satisfied, you will find yourself always searching. Always searching for the next approval. Always searching for that next word of affirmation. Always searching for the next loving word or that next positive opinion or feedback from that one person. You see, the reason, listen, church, the reason why it's so dangerous and foolish 
The reason why it's so dangerous and foolish to build your life on the opinions of others is because people's opinions change all the time. They change all the time. And if your life, listen, if your life rises and falls based on the opinions of others, which by the way, at any given moment in your life, you will have people who love you and people who don't like you. I know it's hard to believe because, I mean, how can people not like me? That's what I say to myself every day. How can people not like me? Look myself in the mirror of this beautiful face. How can you not like me? Right? Like, how, how is this possible? But believe it or not, people, there will be people at any given moment in your life, people who love you and people who don't like you, people who love being around you and people who can't stand you. You will have both of these people, and so if your life rises and falls based on the opinions of others, you will constantly find yourself disillusioned, frustrated, and utterly confused about who you are. And that's where a lot of us find ourselves. And here's what we do. Because we're confused about who we are, because our lives rise and fall based on the opinions of others, we work hard. We work hard at putting on a show. We work hard at putting on altering certain types of masks and making sure that we're put together in a certain type of way so that we, we play to our strengths, right? We, we do all of these things so that people might think highly of us. But if you live in that cycle, let me, I promise you, you will always find yourself never satisfied because people's opinions change all the time. And because they change all the time, you will always be searching. Always be searching for that next word of affirmation. But church, I'm here to tell you, do you want to know whose opinion never changes about you? Your Father in heaven. Your Father in heaven looks upon you, and you need to know that he looks at you. When he looks at you, he looks at you with such deep, loving affection. And I promise you that never changes. That never changes. No matter what you're going through in life, no matter what sin you find yourself tangled up in, no matter how badly you think you've messed it up for yourself, I promise you when God looks upon you, he looks upon you with an unchanging, everlasting love that runs so deep to his core that he can't help but look at you with the deepest form and the deepest level of loving affection. That never changes. People's opinions about you will change. For justified or not, people's opinions about you will change. But the opinion of God for your life over your life will never change. Can you see why Jesus would suggest that the one who is motivated by, motivated by the praises of man come up empty-handed? There's no reward in that. What reward do you walk away when you live for the praises of man? Whereas the one who is inspired by the approval of God receives the highest reward. Friends, as you go about this semester, I pray that you would make it a habit to live for the approval of God, which, by the way, can I just say, you've already received that. I don't want you to confuse what I'm saying here. I'm not saying just replace the praises of man for the approval of God. You know how some of us work for the praises of man? I'm not saying that we need to work for the approval of God. 
We have already received the approval of God in every sense of the word. For those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, we are covered in his righteousness. That's what scripture tells us, which means that because of Christ's death and his resurrection, we just sang about it earlier, that he is the man of sorrows, that he he has covered and paid for all of our debts. Because of what Jesus has done, his finished work, we are already approved by God. God looks upon us, as I just mentioned a few moments ago, favorably with great approval and loving affection. What Jesus is prescribing here and what I'm suggesting is that now we live out of this place of knowing that we are approved and loved by God. I want you to think about how differently your life might look if you lived out of a place of knowing that we are approved and loved by this holy God. So instead of trying to earn the approval and the praises of man, Jesus is saying, why don't you live out of a place of having already been approved by your heavenly Father? For what greater reward will you receive than that? You see, the kingdom way is a secret way, but it's not secret in the way that we would normally think of secrets Shady, sketchy, a little suspicious. It's secret because righteousness done in secret is actually true righteousness. Church, don't be about the fake stuff. Live for the real stuff. Don't be about the fake stuff. Would you commit to living for the real stuff this semester in the coming days?